welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Dear friends, gather. I invite you to pray with me. Uh, if you're comfortable, just ask God's blessings upon the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, my experience with, me, with you is that so often you blow out of the, the park my expectations. So often you are so much better than I deserve or even what I expected. And I ask that you do these in this moment, that, that this sermon would so uh, talk to your people uh, who've come expectant for your word, that, 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 that it would be more than they even expected. Um, but let us be present here. Let the devil not get in the way of this. Let it be a day of victory. We're finally comforted and guided by our Savior, Jesus. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning once again, and uh, always great to see you. Always great to see you. And um, how are we doing today? Doing okay? Okay. Um, I, before I get into the sermon, I need to preface it with something. And that is one of the problems in Christianity. One of the problems in Christianity, just so you know, especially if you're new, if you're visiting, one of the problems is, and, and maybe you already guessed this, there are hypocrites in the church. You know what I'm saying? There are hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who says they're going to do something and, and preaches on something, but then doesn't actually do it. Okay? Now, because this is the potential to happen with your pastor, I want to say about this sermon... If for no one else, I am preaching to myself today, okay? Because this is a subject where I was hugely convicted on and don't think I've mastered and have failed miserably before and probably will, not because I want to fail, but probably will happen again because the issue that we are talking about is how to be a servant. You ready for this? Okay. So if for no one else, I am preaching to myself. And if you get something out of it, well, more power to you. I'm, I'm glad for that. Well, so let's talk about this as I, as I preach just for me. And, and, and let's talk about examples of poor leadership. And, and I would tell you the startling premise is that there are a lot of poor leaders out there. Is anyone in agreement that there are poor leaders in this world? And uh, to talk a little bit about a prime example of a poor leader, I'm going to take it real serious on you, um, is this guy. Right? Dude's a poor leader, whether fictional or non-fictional. I don't care what you have. See, see, the dude's a bad leader for a few reasons. One is that he uses people. He uses, that's a bad leader. He uses people. He manipulates them. Exhibit A. He adopted those children. If you've seen the story, he adopted some children, not because he loved them, not because he wanted children, but rather to infiltrate his enemy and carry out his evil plan. It's a bad leader, manipulating people. He didn't just manipulate people, though, and you probably know he manipulated these dudes, right? How much does he care about the minions? Not much. Why do I know that? Some of them float away, some of them are shrunk, some of them get blown up, and they just, you know, go on. He doesn't care. He even locks them in the basement. You know, they don't even have, like, part of the house, right? Down below, there you go, right? He, he manipulates people for his own purposes. He is also a self-promoter. 
His main goal is that he would be on top, that everyone would know his name, and that's what he sets out to do. And, and we know he uses the minions and the kids because he's really trying to compete with that guy. Vector, who currently has maybe the next big name in poor uh, or in being a villain. And so he has his competition and he has to snuff out the competition. And so what is poor leadership? It's Gru who is um, not only manipulating people but only concerned about his name. Now how awesome if only the poor leaders were cartoons and, and imaginations and, and figures. That get, how awesome if only poor leaders were made up and fictional. That'd be a great thing, wouldn't it? I consider this with a presidential and a political year. This is me, but and I'm not a perfect leader. I'm going to say it, but I would love to vote for someone who didn't run a schmear campaign. I'm not, I'm not even talking about any person, any, any policy. I just love it if you just stood on your position and let me vote based on, on what you're going to do. That, that, that's, that's like the ideal world I live in. Or, or how about debates, right? I would love if it would not resort to like childish back and forth name calling, right? Like how old are you? Right? And now I have to vote for someone who displayed such childish activity regardless of who they are because they've all been childish, by the way, in my mind. And, and it's all name-calling one way or another. And, and this is who we're left with. We're left with someone who displayed childlike behavior who is now going to be the leader of our country. And maybe this is why God says pray for your leaders. Right? Now, now by the way, I don't think I'd do it any better. I think there are circumstances beyond that maybe you're rolling into that this is not about me being better. I'm just saying, ideally, this isn't what should be. And so maybe we're coming and we're considering what is the, the true problem with poor leadership and what's at the, the surface or, or beneath the surface of poor leadership. It's the person who says this. It's all about, say this with me, it's all about me. Yeah, we see that. Another pastor commentated on, on, on this problem, and he, Rick Warren, said this. He said, one of the world's greatest problems is egocentric, self-serving leadership. Leaders who think people exist, whether kids or minions, or people of the United States of America, tax-paying people, for their benefit instead of vice versa. Right? Uh, I was reading another book on this subject, and uh, there's a book called Lead Like Jesus. I recommend it. It's a good premise. Lead Like Jesus. Reminds me of the series. Anyway, um, by Ken Blanchard. And uh, Ken Blanchard had this to say. He said, self-promotion, which is pride, and self-protection, which is fear, um, both in Gru, by the way, are the reigning motivation that dominate the leadership landscape. And it leads to problems. And maybe you've been under a leader like this. Maybe you've witnessed countries who are led by leaders like this, where a country may be severely oppressed, but the leader is doing fine. And maybe there are companies out there where the leadership is doing fine and living in posh environments, but the, the company and the, the people at the bottom aren't so well. And, and this is too often the case. So what would servant leadership look like? John Maxwell had a great story and a great example. John Maxwell had a story about this guy. Does anyone know who it is? Nice. You guys are good. General H. Norman Schwarzkopf. And uh, he was a general during the Persian Gulf War. Uh, one of his jobs was to lead a battalion of troops through mine-infested and booby-trapped infested territory in Vietnam. And he recalls one experience where one of his soldiers in the battalion um, got injured by a mine. And he had a severe leg injury. Uh, because of how he was coping with his injury, he was kind of flailing and he was in pain, obviously, but he wasn't controlling his body. 
and there were mines still all around him. That was a problem. He was, he was again, moving all around where their mines were still around him, so now his leg wasn't just at risk, but his whole life was at risk. So what does he do? He doesn't send one who's under him to go get him. Rather, he sets out. And he describes what it was like trying to get to that man who was flailing all about trying to save his life. He describes it this way. He said, I started through the minefield one slow step at a time, staring at the ground, looking for telltale bumps or little prongs sticking up from the dirt. My knees were shaking so hard that each time I took a step, I had to grab my leg and steady it with both hands before I could take another. It seemed like a thousand years before I reached the kid. And yet he got there and saved his life. He was able to calm him down, settle him down, but at great risk to himself. He's the opposite view of poor leadership. He's a guy who had all the authority, all the status, and yet he used it to serve everyone else, to serve his battalion. This is what we want to talk about. Now, do you think there is a better example than uh, Schwarzkopf as far as servant leadership? If you're a Christian, have we gathered to consider him today? There absolutely is. Our Savior Jesus is the prime example of what it is to serve as a leader, as King of Kings, and lay down his life. So let's get into it. And uh, if you're not a Christian or if it's your first time here, we're just so excited that you get to learn about Jesus. And just to clarify, um, we love him not because he's just a leader who taught us some principles. We love him because he's our Savior who, who had to make up for where we went wrong. Uh, but we can still learn a lot from him, and we will today. So let's get into it. John chapter 13. I'm going to read the whole section. It's kind of long, so uh, follow with me if you could. Uh, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put on her things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took out his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not every one was clean, and that was Judas When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, I am above. And rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than the master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you continue to learn about them. You will be blessed if you keep them in your mind but never act on them. You will be blessed if you tell everyone else to do it, but you never do it. (laughs) You'll be blessed if you do it. This is the Word of God. So what we want to talk about is how do we get to a point where servant leaders like Jesus, may God bless our discussion. 
You know, it's a great time to be at Amazing Love. It, it really is. We're uh, experiencing a lot of just fun things. I mean, the anniversary and, and new people, and, and there's just a sense of excitement. Do you feel it? Um, and, and one of the exciting things in my mind is that uh, we are expanding the church by having babies. And uh, I just want to congratulate. This past week, uh, two families had babies, and we're going to pray for them, uh, the Lindys and the Bosleys, and, and how awesome this is. Um, this is uh, one of the greatest gifts God can give us is in a child. And how awesome to, again, teach them God's ways and to celebrate their baptisms and how God, through grace, brings them to his side. And, um, and so, again, the baby boom, congratulations, Brian. Um, these, are, these are awesome things. And I want to consider with you a little bit on the subject of babies. Subject of babies. Now, first of all, babies are cute, Right? And, uh, you know, you got the, you know, the things that you cuddle and the, they smell good and they're just, just cute. Uh, another thing is that, you know, um, they, they're marvelously made. They, they truly are, fearfully and marvelously made. I mean, from the little toes to a little bit of hair that then goes away or the fingernails. I mean, it is true that God, what, what he makes is a wonder. I could never, you know, make a baby, but God does it and it's like a routine thing and it's just a wonder, right? It, they're just, and there is just a lot of good things about babies, isn't there? Would we agree? A lot, a lot of good things about babies. Could, but can I flip it a little bit? Can we talk about the other side of babies? Okay. Can I flip it a little bit? I'm not trying to be disparaging, by the way. But let's just be honest. Babies are selfish, okay? Babies are selfish. In fact, when we brought our infants home, they never ever asked if they could help clean up the house. Never did it. They didn't concern themselves about how they were making a mess. And that didn't just go with the house, but it came with diapers. They never changed themselves. They didn't care what we had to do. Didn't care about the blowouts. We did. We got to clean that up, right? You know, and, uh, and, and so they're just radically selfish. Another thing is that they didn't care how we were feeling. Nuh-uh. Mm-mm. At 2, 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, they don't care what we need, which is sleep. They just care about what they need. They are selfish creatures, and so they scream away, never considering how this might make us feel, never asking, but you okay? No, they never do that. And so, so babies, what we need to know, and maybe you've picked up on as well, they're just radically selfish. Would you agree? They are just self-centered creatures who are cute and great, but selfish. So, which leads me to another startling premise, which maybe you'll agree with, is this. Babies aren't leaders, okay? If you have a household, don't put the infant in charge. It's not going to go well, okay? If you have a company, don't hire the boss's infant, you know? <laughs> just, it's not, you, ridiculous notion, right? And babies, again, aren't leaders because they can't look outside themselves. I bring up babies uh, because, well, this guy brought him up who wrote this book, Lead Like Jesus is a great example, how self-centered, and really to get us to, again, the biggest problem confronting us in leadership and the biggest problem confronting us in being servants, and and here it is uh, listed this way. The most persistent barrier to leading like Jesus is a heart motivated by self-interest. The most persistent problem, again, is is us being like babies. And, 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 And again, who am I preaching to? Myself. What you need to know about this leader is that my major problem is how many times I'm too much like a baby. Right? And that's just, it's just, yeah, it's bad. It's a bad thing. We agree. And, 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 and I guess I can console myself, and maybe if you're, you know, processing it too, because you're here too, I know that. Um, if you're processing it too, maybe I can console myself looking at the disciples. 
And, and, and it's not an excuse, but at least I can say I'm not the only one. For, for look at the disciples' example. Um, in, in our first lesson, we had James and John. Remember what they asked? We want to be two and three, Jesus. <laughs> You're number one. We'll be two and three. Let's, let's sign the deal. <laughs> and, and, and then um, what, what Luke records about this account is a little bit different than what John records. If you go to Luke's gospel about the same night, look at what the disciples are doing. Uh, it said, a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Now Jesus is about to teach on servant leadership in the context of this. And you can just probably sense his frustration with the whole thing, right? I got to teach you and I'm going to serve you to the nth degree and you guys are arguing about how good you're going to be. Great. Can you just sense his frustration? Like why do I got to put up with these people? But anyway, and, and that's where they were. If you're anything like me or anything like the disciples, we have to be brutally honest with ourselves. And the reason to confront brutal truths is so we get honest answers. But we have to be brutally honest that when it comes to us, our internal compass points to me. It just does. And and I'm going to state it this strongly. If you think pride is just an issue for someone else, whoever that else is, maybe you have someone else in mind. Maybe you're thinking right now, I just wish that person heard this sermon. I mean, maybe there's a way I can link them to it this week because there's someone in my life who needs to hear this. I don't need to hear this, but you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? Like, they need to hear this, not me. Anyway, um, if you think pride is just an issue for someone else, you're fooling yourself. And I say that out of love. You are fooling yourself if you think pride is just an isolated incident with someone else that's in your life. Because the honest reality is pride is one of the things we will have to wrestle to the ground as long as we live. Pride is the worst part of our sinful nature. Pride is so deeply rooted in us that I believe Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things. Times when we thought we would be humble, we're actually being prideful because our heart is deceptive, right? This is the issue going on. If we don't confront it and if we're not honest with it, it can lead not only to hurting other people, but if you're truly prideful, it could lead you away from God forever, saying, God, I don't need you, don't want you, don't you know who I am? This is the sin we need to be aware of. So we've identified the problem. Now we get to talk about the solution. And the solution, my friends, and I don't know how you get past this issue. If you're not a Christian, I don't know what your answer is um, past this issue if you don't look at Jesus. I really don't. And so how do we get past this? We look at Jesus. And look again at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5, what is he doing? It says, So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water in a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now what you need to know about washing feet, uh, they didn't have Air Jordans. They didn't have Skechers. They didn't have Uggs. They they had open-toed sandals. And they were walking on dirty roads where animals would do their business on those roads. So this is not a good job. Like, even the servants whose job was to wash feet didn't want to wash feet. But Jesus, who is Lord of all, the name above all names, the King of kings, Jesus is doing what servants didn't even want to do, and he proves how far he was willing to go. 
The discussion reminds me, have you ever talked about being the bigger person? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, being the bigger person. Um, if you've had that discussion, it's usually not a good thing, right? Because when you have to be the bigger person, it's always a hard thing to do. What, what is being the bigger person? Well, this is my understanding. Being the bigger person is saying I'm sorry when both sides were hurt and maybe being the first one to say you're sorry. Being the per bigger person is that when, when someone hurts you um, and is your enemy and really doesn't like you even, that you still wish them well. That you still hope that their family does well. You still hope that they are well. Jesus taught about love for enemies. Being the bigger person um, is about this idea that I don't feel like doing this, but, but because I know it's the right thing to do, I will do it, though the feelings are not there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Being the bigger person was never better illustrated than, than in what happened recently um, with, uh, with this guy. Uh, does anyone know who this is? Anyone? Uh, this is Monty Williams. He is a basketball coach. Uh, weeks earlier, what you need to know is Monty Williams lost his wife. His wife died in a car accident as someone crossed the center line, hit him head on, and so his wife is now gone because of that person. If you haven't listened to his speech at the funeral, which is, this is a picture from, I would encourage you to do so. And Monty Williams, what he said just was remarkable at what had to have been the most difficult time. He's a Christian. So one of the things he said was, you know what, I haven't lost her. Because when you lose things, you don't know where they are. I know exactly where she is. She is with the Lord. He said, this is tough. He wasn't going to be a hypocrite about it. This is really tough, and it's going to be tough. But he also said, I know God works everything for my good and can even work right now, and so he was real with God's promises. But then he said something he didn't need to say. And he would have still had a good speech, and people would have been like, you are an amazing Christian just for saying what you said. But he went into a territory that, that again, didn't need to be said, but he said it. And he went this far. He said, I'm not the only one who's hurting. You guys need to pray for and support that other family because they lost someone too. And that is what I'd encourage you to do. Pray for all those people who also lost someone who is dear to them. Pray for the family of the person who killed my wife. Let me ask you, is that being the bigger person? Absolutely. Would this have been a tough thing to do? Could you and I, could we have done that? I don't think we can honestly answer that. But he proves what this is all about. He proves that being a servant leader is doing what's right when you don't feel it. It's showing love to people that it'd be easier to dislike. And he proves this principle, that the lower you go, the harder for you it is to do what you know to do, the, the, the less you feel it, the more unfair it was, means the bigger you are. And there's someone who proved it way better than Monty Williams. It is the one we celebrate and praise. It is Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who would go so low and washing stinky feet was nothing compared to bearing a cross. And dealing with the muddy water was nothing compared to the wine vinegar he would get when he was hanging there. 
Wrapping a towel around his waist was nothing compared to the flog that would be around his back. This Jesus, our Savior, the one above all, will lower himself to the least depths to die like no one else died in the worst way possible. He would give his very life and be laid in a tomb to prove just how big he is and how much he loves. Because he did this, we are saved. We are forgiven for all of our pride. The radically selfless motivation cured the radically selfish motivation. Us. He has saved us and washed us clean because of what he did. But he now invites us to follow that example. He invites us today to do what he has done, to now lower ourselves so that we can be big, not maybe in the eyes of a company, not maybe in the eyes of our family, not maybe in our community or on the court when you lower yourself, but in the eyes of God. And that is now the opportunity. You know, if you like learning through acronyms, there is uh, some acronym help to just unearth what we dissolve. And uh, one of the things about uh, poor leadership is the idea of ego. Ego that could be described as edging God out. That is what most people do. They edge God out. They want God to acquiesce to them. They want to be on top. Whereas what we're talking about is this principle, that we want to exalt God only. That when it comes to the Christian life, we live and we operate for an audience of one. We cannot please everyone. We will not please everyone, but we make it our goal to please just one. And that is the one we stand and fall. That is the one who has our hearts. That is the one we live for, my friends. And that is what leads to servant leadership. We're not just promoting yourself. We're not just manipulating others. It's giving your life over to Jesus and being led by him. Another quote. Your success in life depends on your relationship with Christ and what level of control will let you have you will let him have in your life. But one of the favorite parts of this discussion for me, one of the awesome portions of this lesson is verse 1. Verse 1, can we read it again? I'm going to go to that second half of the verse. Verse 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That verse is so awesome because it tells us why Jesus did it. Why does Jesus do all of this for us? The answer is, is love. It's love. If you want to be a true servant leader, you need to be led by love. Love is the differentiation. But what's, what's interesting is have you noticed that it is very hard to serve and love people who aren't very lovable? Have you noticed that? It's very hard to serve and love people who aren't lovable. For example, if you have someone in the classroom who is only naughty and disrespectful, it is very hard to be loving to that person because of their attitude. If you have a child who is acting that way and has been very disrespectful, it is very hard to serve them. If you've been in the hospitality business, if you've been in the hospitality business and you've ever had anyone rude, or you had to serve a client who just went off on you, you know how hard it is to serve and to love people who are very unlovable. If you're at work and people talk behind your back or they make fun of you, you know how hard it is to serve and love people who haven't been so loving to you. And so I'm going to give you a radical principle. I'm going to, it's going to sound strange, but I'm going to tell you don't love people because you love them. Does that even make sense? I think so. Don't love people because you love them. And don't serve them because you love them. 
There's a better way. Serve and love Him. Why? Serve Him because you love Jesus. Because they're going to fail you. Every relationship you're in right now will fail you in the aspect of love. It's not an if, but it's a when. They're going to fail you, and when they fail you, you will want to give up loving and serving them. Unless it comes from a deeper reservoir. Unless your major motivation for loving and serving them was not them, but was Jesus who never let you down and always loved you and is always there. Not just then on the cross, but here today. The one who hasn't given up on us and gave us the faithful love we so desperately need. He is the reason we serve. He is the reason we love other people. And I'm not saying, by the way, don't love other people, but you know what I'm saying. Right? This is our fuel. Servanthood is not motivated by manipulation or self-promotion. It's fueled by love and the love of Jesus most of all. But as we wrap up this discussion, which we will, I need to focus on one last thing that Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is He's handing off something. He's building an apprenticeship. And it kind of reminds me of the discussion, has, has your family ever taught you how to do certain things? The family you grew up in, did they hand down a script, so to speak? And maybe the script has to do with cooking. Like maybe you cook eggs the way that your parents cooked eggs and the way they did. Or does anyone have like family recipes? Family recipes, okay. And, and especially when it comes to dessert, because that's the best recipe to pass down, you know, and, and the chocolate chip cookies are made this way because that's how they're made and it was handed down and it's great, right? That's how we do it in the family. Um, or maybe, um, in my example, it wasn't really like cooking as much, it was cleaning. <laughs> we, were, we were about cleaning. And so um, I want to bring up my example. Um, what, what I always passed down was a way to fold a t-shirt. Okay, and, and so there's a proper and an improper way. And so, so I, I was taught, just was passed down, because I did some laundry, not a lot, but anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you have to take one side to properly fold, and, and you put it in the middle. And then you take the other side, and you fold it. And then you do the last one, which is there. And so if you properly fold, your T-shirt will look this way. And then I got married. And there was a different way to fold a t-shirt. And I saw just a ridiculous practice. I'm like, who does this? And, and it just went like to the other side, you know, once. And then I think, I think this is right. I don't even know because I don't do it. <laughs> it's the wrong way. And my t-shirt started looking like this. And I'm like, this is not the right way. This is not how t-shirts should look in the drawer. What in the world are you doing with t-shirts? Right? Because there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And we weren't communicating on how it should be done. Right? You know what I'm saying. Jesus was passing down how to do it. You want to be like me? You want to follow me? There is a way and a way not to do it. And this is the way. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done. I taught you how to do it. This is how it's done. You serve other people. And what was Jesus doing in this moment? He was raising up the next generation. He was teaching the successors, wasn't he? He was raising them up to show them this is how it's done when I'm gone. And this is the principle. That servant leadership is about raising up a successor. That, that's what you do. You, you raise up other people who know how it's done. Now some of you know I've had a call. 
And, and first of all, it's a privilege to get a call. No, no one thinks that they should ever serve God in and of themselves. But it's interesting the discussions I've had when I have calls, and it came up many, many times, and people are so smart. You guys are so smart. Um, because before I've ever preached on this, you said this is what you should do, Pastor. And, and it's, it's not just been one or two. I mean, over and over, people have said, you know, Pastor, before you go, when and if that happens, you need to raise up someone who knows. Someone who knows what you're doing. You should raise up a successor. And so I've, I've wrestled with that, and I've, I've heard it loud and clearly. And I've really been wrestling with this question, um, how well am I doing in preparing others to take the place when the time comes? That's, that's what I've been asking. And, and I realize, I, here's my sobering answer. I have not done this well. I haven't. And you can point the finger because I have failed at this. I have not done a great job of raising up someone else to carry on. I haven't. It's an issue. And it kind of reminds me of the shadow that leaders can cast. You know what I'm talking about of like shadows of leaders and things like that? Um, It's basically that you're so much in that person's shadow you're afraid to come out on your own, right? And, and it, it's about influence. And, and what I would totally recognize, I'm not sure if there is a shadow over a pastor, but if that shadow exists, it's not helpful. Would you, isn't, that, isn't that true? It's, it's, not, it's not helpful. And if my presence in staying casts a larger shadow, that will do you a disservice. It absolutely will. If it all becomes about a person rather than about Jesus, this is a problem. And I, I want to let you know that because I haven't done this well. But because I haven't done this well, I have work to do. And because of this, I am staying at Amazing Love and declining the call. And to my core, you have made it so easy to be here because I know your love for me. And I want you to know it goes both ways. From the depths of my heart, I love these people at Amazing Love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not perfect. I'm not a perfect dude, but I love you. But with that, I'd like to direct you. You need to come out of the shadow. I'm not saying one exists, but if it does, we need many, many people to come out of the shadow and use the gifts God has given you and be available and carry the baton And some have done it very well. When I talk about the problem, it isn't that it isn't going on. It's just that it needs to go on more. When we look at Amazing Love, in every volunteer position, we are limping. We could use volunteers across the board in every category, in every place. That is the truth. But with that, it will take a servant mentality. It will take the the mentality that says, maybe this isn't what I wanted exactly to do, but it's what needs to be done, and so I'm going to do it. This is how we come out of the shadow. This is how we continue on together. What also is a non-negotiable, as long as I am here, and maybe you can kick me out when this changes, or when you don't want to hear it anymore, As long as I'm here, what a non-negotiable is, is our mission. What is our mission? Does anyone know? Let's read it together. Our mission is to reach the lost with the love of Christ. Come out of the shadow, but you need to know this is a non-negotiable. 
that as long as I'm here and you can kick me out if you don't like it, I'm going to tell you that it is much better for Christians to serve those who don't know Christ than for Christians to serve themselves. It is much better to focus on the needs of those who don't know than the wants and preferences of those who already know. This will always be the case as long as I'm here. It's a non-negotiable. Kick me out if you want to. Because we got a mission to do. We got a great commission to fulfill. And one of the things that could always limp us and keep us is a focus on me. And it starts with me. So we can come out of the shadow, but we need to ask, how might God use me for the salvation of others? How might God use me so that many others might know how good our God is, might know of this love, the love that not only started, but loved us to the end? This is the goal, my friends. So let us carry on. I pass on to you what was passed down to me, by the way. I had a mission counselor who said, Dustin, your job is to be the voice of the unchurched. Your job is to look at things and to preach in a way that it would be relevant for the unchurched, for those who'd never been in a church before, and I'm passing that on to you. We are collectively to be the voice of the unchurched, to see it through their lens, to understand what they need in order that they might know our saving God. This is the goal. And now let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, please forgive us for all the times I've failed, we failed. And refine our faith today. Refine it so that we can continue on with your mission and be a church and a, and a, and a people that aren't perfect but that please you. Lord, use us so that many others might know their saving God, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.